Nick, 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 Nickelodeon Studios in Burbank, California. This is the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Hector Navarro. Welcome to the podcast. Our guests today are responsible for some of the best music to come from a cartoon show ever. Avatar, The Last Airbender, and The Legend of Korra were two shows known for featuring some of the most beautiful, epic, sophisticated music that helped elevate moments and stirred emotion in their audiences. The track team, a duo made up of Jeremy Zuckerman and Benjamin Wynn, composed all the music and sound for Avatar and Korra. And today, we'll get to do a deep dive on some specific musical moments from the show with Avatar and Korra co-creator Brian Konitzko and from the track team, Jeremy Zuckerman. Speaking of goth boots, didn't you spray paint some knee-high Doc Martens or something? Uh, <laughs> they were about this high. Yeah, I made them silver. Nice. Yeah, they were cool. I don't even know what year that could have been fashionable, but nice. It was never Good. fashionable. It was never it, fashionable. It was 1976. <laughs> well, that was like 95, I think. 95. Yeah. Guys, first of all, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, oh, for, having thanks for having us. Brian, you are, along with being a director and a writer and executive producer, an animator, you're also a musician. Yeah. Yeah. I try Come to on. be. I try to be. Yes, you are. <laughs> well, I think uh, a lot of fans have accurately attributed a lot of the success of the music to the fact that one of Avatar and Korra's co-creators was a musician himself. Do you think that that's true? Uh, the success of the music was because we had Jeremy. I think my ability to communicate with Jeremy on a more musical level just helped our process. Yeah, no, you had a lot of really super interesting, helpful musical directions. I think it just helped because we had a somewhat shared discourse. Like there was there was some terminology that you know we could communicate. Definitely, and yeah. I think that helped. over time you sort of gave me more space. Like you would give me an idea, but this is also because I became more adept. You know, mm -hmm. in the beginning of Avatar, I needed a lot of sort of handholding to get through it. By Korra, you know, you give me these like big concepts, like Chinese Dixieland thing, and then like I just sort of let me run with it. And you and Mike both gave me like a lot of freedom which is pretty rare. And I felt like I could sort of try whatever like appealed to me. You know, you'd sort of give me a seed and then from there I'd just sort of like figure it out. And that was, that was really freeing and uh, conducive to like making something really unique. Ancient but fictional. What did that mean to you, Jeremy? Like, what kind of assignment was that? And then what'd you do with that? Well, the idea, I think it was also try to avoid Western instrumentation. Right, Brian? That was the initial idea. <laughs> but it was, <laughs> we, we abandoned it. Well, eventually we realized we had to. <laughs> yeah. You know, we were sort of dealing with some Western ideas that needed that kind of, you know, orchestration. Sure. But the original idea, and it, it definitely informed the entire soundtrack and even Cora, was to try to avoid the tropes and try to you know, look at like these ethnic instruments as if um, not necessarily to use them traditionally, mm -hmm. but just to sort of explore them as a sound making device and, you know, go in there with like a beginner's mind and just play with it, cool. figure it out. That was even probably more so the idea with an avatar in a lot of ways than Korra. But we got closer to it on Korra. Well, we did. Because Jeremy was already a great 
musician and composer at the beginning of Avatar, but right. there's no way you you do 61 episodes, you're gonna grow, you're gonna learn, you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna pick some stuff so, up. That early Avatar, I can't listen to it's, most of the Avatar. Yeah, stuff. I mean, it's hard for me to look at. <laughs> really? It. Yeah. Wow. Um, but you guys, there, it's really good. But it's there were also there were also <laughs> budgetary and production limitations. Right. You know, he had to crank out an episode every two weeks. As a result, most of it was MIDI stuff, and even though. Jeremy and Ben had really good MIDI libraries. You know, there, mm-hmm. there were limitations to that stuff, so it sounded a lot more canned. And In case people that are listening aren't familiar, describe what MIDI is. MIDI is basically a synthesizer, and it, it can be many different things. It, you know, you can sequence notes or... Musical you know, other, instrument digital interface yeah. is what it stands Just for. Trying to avoid that, yeah. that level of nerdiness. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's but, great. But Brian brought it. <laughs> that's impressive. Yeah. So they're recordings of live instruments, but they're chopped up. Sure. And then you're using... MIDI to trigger those sounds yeah. and it's not just on off there's all right. sorts of parameters yeah. but but it's pretty dead you yeah, know you, like, you do you do what you can to spice yeah. it up but. yeah but like like sonically you know what i mean it's sure it's, it's not expressive so i think a lot of the the goals of doing all this sort of non-western instrumentation uh, we were a bit limited by the just the budget and the schedule sure. but yeah but also like you're saying my lack of experience was a big thing because the as schedule the was actually not that different for Cora and the the budget wasn't much different either what i was going to say was you figured out this process throughout right. doing avatar because the further avatar went the more comfortable jeremy was he he started recording himself playing more live cool. instruments i mean he did that even from the beginning but by the the finale he got to uh mark got us a bigger budget so that he could do live you know string players and yeah. stuff i feel like in that process you were like when we came back a couple years later to do cora he's like wait i figured out how i can <laughs> incorporate that every week yeah after having the live strings i just couldn't go back you, you don't know? go back that you was for the back. finale of avatar yeah. the last airbender sozin's comment it was a full orchestra right right well and it was it was a small it was a it was a, a chamber like a medium-sized medium-sized uh, like a chamber string ensemble just as far as even like composing for humans, you know, it's such a different process. Like when you're doing MIDI, you spend a lot of your time trying to make it sound real yeah. and producing it. And, you know, you're not spending as much time on actual compositional ideas. Was Cora orchestra or mid-size? So, or? so well, well yeah. the other, I just want to mention the other mm-hmm. thing that made Cora, I think, get closer to our, a hybrid of our original idea was, was Hong. Hong Wang. Yeah. yeah. Hong Wang is a, he's a genius. He's a Chinese multi-instrumentalist. Mm-hmm. And he contacted me via LinkedIn, of all things, after Avatar was done. And I was like, at the time, I was like, I, I can't think about Chinese music for a while. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but I filed it away in my brain, and then um, we got Kung Fu Panda. So uh, we contacted Hong, and he showed up. He's from Las Vegas, and he showed up in a minivan with, like, 20 instruments. And, you know, <laughs> seven-eighths of them I'd never heard of before. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and um, he, he comes in, and he was so awesome. Like, the way, he, the way his musicality... Is incredible. I, I don't know if I've ever met anyone with that level of musicality. Very so cool. he he was on all the Kung Fu Panda stuff, all the chorus stuff, mm-hmm. and he basically it was like like I had known some somewhat about Chinese music from Avatar. I studied Gujin and um, Pipa. Gujin is a zither, and mm-hmm. uh, Pipa is like a like a loop. But um, working with Hong for five years was an incredible education.
So Jeremy, I want to ask a little bit about your background. How did you get into music? Where did it start for you? I grew up in a pretty musical household. I started taking piano lessons from my mom at five, but I wasn't that into it really. It was, it was sort of painful. Yeah. <laughs> we'd, get into, we'd get into, you know, arguments and yelling matches at the piano. Yeah. But, you know, she taught me how to read music and, you know, scales and just sort of started to develop a musical ear. Mm-hmm. And then I, around nine, I started playing sax, but I had like awful teeth. <laughs> so, so I'd feel the reed. The reed would vibrate like through my upper oh, teeth, like awful. into my like brain. <laughs> oh, that's horrible! <laughs> it, it, like it like hurt. Like I could feel it in the nerves of my teeth. But I like suffered through that for a couple of years, <laughs> and then and then I switched to guitar. And you know, within like days of getting it, I was like in love, like playing. Yeah. You know. Black Sabbath with my thumb, like, yeah, you know, yeah. over there, like on the wrong <laughs> side of the neck, and, you know, and didn't know why, like, I got home, though, and I plugged it in, and I was like, why doesn't that sound like Jimi Hendrix, you know? <laughs> there was, like, a week where I thought I bought the wrong instrument, I thought there was, like, a different kind of guitar. Wow. <laughs> no, I need and, the good the good guitar, yeah, the good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, it's the wrong one. What kind of musical influences did you have growing up? What was the kind of stuff you were into? <clears throat> well, let's see, when I was, you know, around eight or, you know, seven, eight, I listened to a lot of Top 40 stuff. You know, all these, like, melodies, 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 you know? Yeah. So there's a lot of that, I think, that's in the roots, like, these, like, melodies that are that are sort of in my foundation mm-hmm. musically. But also my dad had an interesting, he had interesting sort of musical tastes, and he, he would have, like, strange records, and he'd be playing, you know, um, NPR on, like, in the, on the weekends, and I'd hear, you know, like, Philip Glass or, or Steve Rice or Terry Riley or stuff like that. Cool. And I'd be like, what is this, you know? And I... But that sort of was like, I think that was like a cool, subtle way of like opening my ears. My dad, he wouldn't force it down anyone's throat. He would just have it on. And then my older sister had really good musical taste too. And she would, she, when she was like 16, she was like way into jazz. And Frank Zappa, which is, you know, I don't know too many 16-year-old girls were into Frank Zappa. <laughs> she'd be playing like Joe's Garage and these like extremely vulgar, amazing songs. Like what's going on? Or, or Pink Floyd or something like that. Also, my mom played flute, so so we'd go see like these classical concerts. But I was I was definitely a rock kid. Yeah. When'd you get into metal? Um, <laughs> I think right around the time I started playing in a band, the drummer got me into metal. Then it started to get a little more progressive. Bands like Coroner, and then later in college there was Mashuga. But then I started to get into like more esoteric sort of computer music stuff. Yeah. Um, and that really opened my ears up, and that led me back to like 20th century classical music. Like, like Trevor Wishart is one of your big influences. Yeah, he's a big influence for me. And he wrote an incredible book that really exposes like the cultural biases. Um, yeah. So it's fascinating to be like, wait a second. Like, I love that stuff, yeah. Yeah, why do we you know, choose these two parameters, pitch and duration, as the most important parameters? Mm. And like, that's actually, he posits that that, was, that came from uh, technological limitations. Mm. And it, those were the easiest parameters to quantify. Interesting. But now with computers... Those limitations are gone. Yeah. So we're still sort of existing in this. Totally. In using these limitations that don't apply anymore. So see, Jeremy <clears throat> talked this way 15 years ago, <laughs> and so it was it wasn't a stretch for me to be like, yeah. Oh, you're the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know how you knew it would work. I mean, maybe that is one of those things where because I was a musician, I can mm. tell that you and Ben, because Ben and Jeremy did the music together yeah. uh, and the sound together on the pilot. We've told it before, but a, a nice story. You know, Ben and I were roommates for many years when Mike and I were developing Avatar. And so, like, Ben was sitting there next to us working when Mike and I were, like, writing. And I was in the living room and heard them finally crack the, like, the main theme that oh, we yeah, know, you know, theme. so many years later has become so iconic. And I, I remember just going, 
that I like that. Yeah. Like, that's it. You know, like I was just like eating my sandwich. Yeah, we're just like poking around. There it is. Oh, oh, oh okay. Like, didn't even realize. You know, okay, cool. The truth is like, a lot of the ideas we had, we couldn't get to work. They just didn't quite sure. exist in that world. Like they were just almost too idealistic and far out for mm-hmm. that world. It would would wouldn't have been right for the project. You know what I mean? But there's little moments, you know, where they're there. Like little moments, like uh, where I got to use Super Collider or something. This crazy yeah, yeah. software. I, I remember using that for even for things like um, in the Blue Spirit Chase. You know, where the crowd is mm-hmm. chanting. Yeah. And we had to make the sound of a crowd. I remember that. So I chanted, and then like using you know, digital DSP processes, I um made it. You know, I imposed the envelope. You know, onto right? It. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Sorry, I'm trying to figure out a way to like nerd out. What he did was no, obviously. Here's, here's right, the, this yeah. is, bring it down. Let Brian. me try to do a layman. <laughs> bring it down, please. I'm please, struggling. please. Jeremy needed to sound like there was this huge army chanting. Okay. You know. <sighs> And he's alone in his studio, home studio. Wow. So he writes a program to take his one single chant and randomize it and do subtle different versions of it until it duplicates and duplicates and exponentially and it sounds like a huge thing. He wrote the program to do that. So, like, that's why... In Super Collider. So I didn't completely write it from the <laughs> Okay, in, in, in an open source program called SuperCollider, a platform, then yeah. he wrote a program. Were there any times that the music for Avatar or even Korra like, had to be changed? <laughs> I was remembering that a very high up exec, we, we did that goofy music for Momo, <laughs> Maybe even in the pilot, and then we might have used it once in the series, and she's yeah. like, "Stopped right using that," <laughs> which is funny because it was everyone's like, "Avatar is so weird; it doesn't fit on Nickelodeon," and that was our one like really goofy <laughs> cue. And she know, was like, true. "Okay, guys, I think we've had enough of that. You need to stop <laughs> yeah. using that." Yeah. It was just such a strange note. But I don't even think I ever knew that. But occasionally, was, you know, occasionally okay Jeremy would do, you know, because he would do a preview. He would do like mm-hmm. his his rough draft of the music and yeah occasionally either Mike and I or one of us you know would like it and the other one had something different usually it was just we had like a different mood or vibe and usually it was the case yeah but there wasn't that much of that I think usually it was more like you know it just needs to hit something or there needs to be music where there isn't or just not sort of supporting a specific moment or something that was I think our biggest our biggest debates especially on Korra would be should this scene have music or not Yep. I, Mike and I How do you all, make that decision? Well, Mike and I were always like, yes, let's have more music. Yeah. And Jeremy mm-hmm. it was always like, no. You yeah. know, and, and so wow. oddly enough, and it's not that he was trying to make less work from so, Well, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I, maybe deep down somewhere. <laughs> I'm not going to admit it, but it's possible. <laughs> but, you know, we would debate about that. Yeah. And sometimes he would turn in the preview and, and we Mike and I would come back and be like, we definitely need we need some music here. Please, mm-hmm. please write some music. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but every once in a while it worked, right? No, totally. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't against the idea. I just thought it would be so bold to have a you know a show on Nickelodeon that has scenes without music. Absolutely. You know? It makes you notice the scenes that do have music more. Well, yeah. And mm-hmm. I always feel like music should serve a very specific function. And if it's mm-hmm. not doing that, 
Like the idea of music as a band aid drives me crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's something we all have to do sometimes. It's just part of the gig, you know? Yeah. Just, yeah. But, I can't stand wall to wall scores. Like, wall to wall scores, there's no dynamic. It's just flat. It becomes wallpaper. Like Spielberg yep. stuff where it's yeah. like, uh, it's just. Right. And there's nothing happening. It's like, <laughs> yeah, what is this? Exactly. It's like, not serving any function, yeah. really. Right. It's just sort right. of like filling up blank space. And to me, it shows like a, a lack of faith in the audience. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And sometimes when music drops out, I know that as an audience member, it just it puts me on the edge of my yeah. seat. And then it, when really it comes tense. back in, it's it's super tense. It's yeah, yeah. because when it, it's almost it's more realistic when it's gone. Yes. You know. So the tension, like, there's nothing more tense than silence. And then been in, yeah. you know, having been there too, and mm-hmm. they were working in conjunction with each other. So sometimes we would say, oh, we really want to focus on the the music or the sound and the yeah, scene. The sound, so yeah. let's let the music either take a back seat sonically, or you know, to make some room, or yeah. With everything Mike and I wanted to do something special, we yeah. just, none of it did we want to be typical. It's no. awesome. Well, let's go back a little bit, guys. Let's go back yeah. to some early stuff in Avatar, The Last Airbender. This is super exciting because we haven't had a chance to do this, but uh, we get to listen to some tracks, yeah, and then we cool. can kind of talk about them. Uh, we've pulled music. some, we've pulled some special ones, but I want to listen to season one, episode thirteen, The Blue Spirit. This features the sungi, sungi, sungi horn. Yeah. What is a sungi horn? So they designed the look of it, and I had to come up with the sonic equivalent, and um, my nerdy background really came in handy because. I needed to be performed with a live instrument, but it, it had to sound a little different than the actual instrument. That, yeah. So it, it was the the performance was a duduk, duduk. Armenian instrument, but it's a, it has a brassy bell. So mm-hmm. I did this process called convolution, where I took a little tiny, very short recording, just dinging the the bell of a trombone, and convolved it with the performance of the duduk, and it gave it this brassy quality. It basically imposed the characteristics of the trombone. The physical characteristics of the body. Mm-hmm. Just want to pause the, here and, mm-hmm. and point out that this is not the typical stuff. I know when you're doing animation scores that you can go to your composer and say, "Could you convolve these two <laughs> instruments so that you can create the sound of a fictitious instrument?" Let's take a little listen to that track, cool. and then we can uh, talk about uh, whatever comes to mind. Here yeah, we go. Cool. I picked this cue uh, from Avatar. There's a couple things about this cue that were yeah. really cool. First, it was incredibly somber and spare and like sparse, you know, yeah. um, which again, for American kids' animation, <laughs> rare. It's a really long cue and it goes over a few scenes and then it's revealed that it's actual incidental music, that it, it's someone in a scene playing an instrument, which mm-hmm. I think. It was probably the first time we had that at that point, at least something to this degree. So it was like a really somber end to the episode and and, and quite beautiful. Um, and then to find out that Uncle Iroh, who at this point had been really only shown as a sort of goofy character, I think it showed some depth to him. And then, yeah, it's just, no. this is what I knew about Jeremy. We were like, I want you to use a doo-doo. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, okay, went and bought one. It's a double reed instrument, right? Yeah, really not an easy thing to play. He just went and bought one and 
performed that about a week later. So wow. um, I don't honestly, I don't think I could do that now. I think it was my ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> it was like my inexperience, you know. Yeah. Just like, oh, I'll just go buy one. There's no reason I can't do that. But yeah. now I'm like that's impossible. You know, wow. I don't know. That, it was honestly, you just looked at me and you were like, "You can do it." I'm like, mm-hmm. "Okay, I better do it." Then. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you have wow. no choice. Do it. Wow. That's not how it went, but no, <laughs> no. But I mean, it was, it was like a positive reinforcement, but it was yeah. also like, you know. But like I think you're do it. the like, okay. inspiration for that was possibly from Peter Gabriel's score, yeah. The Last Temptation of Christ. Well, speaking but, of uh, Uncle Iroh, I got to ask you about Leaves from the Vine, the origin of that piece of music and how that came about. Um, right at the, I think it, this was, re- this, that was in season two, right? Season two, yeah, yeah episode 15, Tales yeah, of Bossing Set. Yeah, yeah, when they're in Bossing Set. So yeah. I think the day after I handed in the finale for season one, we were about to have a break, and Mike said that there was going to be a, like 10 little musical songs, diegetic things, yeah. you know, on screen musical moments um, for, the next, for the next season. And if I can make demos of them so that they can animate to them, that'd be awesome. And so I was all like pumped up from finishing the finale, so I just did it. They came out very fast. Like it, I just grabbed the people out instead of a guitar, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, it was just me, like with singing terribly. Um, those demos, I hope, are burned. People are always like, "Can I hear the the full song?" I'm like, guys, <laughs> it's, sure, it's on my that's album. The full song. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you can buy it for yeah. three installments of yeah. nine ninety five. Some of those ditties are like nine seconds long. You know, that's but. so funny. Well, moving on to season three, episode five, the beach. Yeah, now, this was a great episode. It's very breakfast clubby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. it's really really great. But there's this piece of music that I want to listen to that is Zuko experiencing a flashback. picked that one because uh, I storyboarded it and it was like I had a really specific thing in mind where it was just going to be for us a pretty long wordless scene which right. wasn't very typical in our like especially Avatar kind of a bit goofier kids animated program so than, than what Korra became but I was one of the like longer of just a character alone just like Nothing's really happening. You know, he's just mm-hmm. walking around remembering things. And um, as I was drawing it, you know, I really wanted this to be like a cinematic. I was always trying to get things to be sort of cinematic. So as I was drawing it, I just couldn't wait for Jeremy to be like, to have room to just like yeah. let the music. And then Ben did really cool sound design for yeah. the flashbacks. You know, that was getting into the third season. I feel like the score was starting to mature. Yeah, Absolutely. definitely. Yeah, I started writing more simply. Absolutely. And I remember that, that, that like Celeste 
yeah um ostinato thing that was a theme for zuko in the third season as he really started to change mm -hmm. because the writing was so good these themes started to work out really well like yeah. they come back at great times and you know and that the yeah. structure of when to bring things back is obviously determined by the the writing you know mm -hmm. so <laughs> these great things these things were working on get so excited because they would just work so well conceptually because yeah. the writing was so good, yeah. you know what I mean? And that episode, that was, uh, in case people forgot, it was Zuko. It was us as an audience learning more about him and his friends and family. And this was a beautiful, somber flashback moment. And he's remembering things about his life. And uh, it just, it worked really, really well. It was mm. great. Cool. So let's get to some scary stuff. Right. Okay. This next Scarce clip, this next piece of music <laughs> is terrifying. This is, now we're into the finale of Avatar The Last Airbender. This is Sozin's comment. This is a clip of Azula standing in front of a and basically losing her mind. What a shame. You always had such beautiful hair. What are you doing here? I didn't want to miss my own daughter's coronation. Don't pretend to act proud. I know what you really think of me. You think I'm a monster. I think you're confused. All your life you've used fear to control people, like your friends May and Tai Lee. Well, what choice do I have? Trust is for fools. Fear is the only reliable way. Even you fear me. No. I love you, Azula. I do. I mean, that's a horror movie set in the world of Avatar. It's great. <laughs> that Tell was us fun. about that, Jeremy. That was one of those things where you can't really do with MIDI. At least then you couldn't. Mm -hmm. Now there's libraries that have that kind of stuff. And that was, that was you know, we had access to a live uh, string ensemble for that one. So I was, I was going to enjoy it, you know. <laughs> and all those string parts. So th there's six, 16 separate string parts in that, in that queue. Mm -hmm. all, everyone has their own part. You know, usually you have strings like, you know, maybe four or five, six parts. But this, because I wanted these clusters... And I think I think we overdub one. I think there was um, it was microtonal, mm -hmm. so you know you have twelve notes, you know, in an octave, but you know doubled it twenty four, so you have notes in between the notes on the piano, so you cool. get these quarter tones. See, and that's why <clears throat> the creepiness you're feeling yeah. is because Jeremy's doing this stuff where he's in between the traditional yeah. like Western scales, mm -hmm. and but they're they're shifting. Like yeah. he has the each player. And it was specific, you know. He would tell them between here and here, I want you to. Yeah, there was, it was <laughs> wow. funny. It was super specific. Um, and some of the players were sort of like laughing at me. It'd be like fourteen point five cents sharp. There's a hundred cents in it and a half step. <laughs> and I'd be like, all right, well, I'd like oh, basically half of a quarter tone. All right, guys, you don't, have to, you know, I'm not going to hear, you know, or just a little sharp, a lot sharp, a little, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But but you can <clears> hear the difference. Yeah, you yeah, yeah you can. Amazing. We got another clip from that. Uh, this one is just straight epic. This is a great example of epic. This is uh, Zuko versus Azula. Let's take a listen to that.
love that music, you guys. <laughs> so that, that's my oh. that's my favorite piece of Come music on. from Avatar by far. That's you remember the story behind yeah. that, right? Yeah, yeah. What's the story behind it? So we knew that we wanted to do something emotional in that scene. We knew we wanted to score the subtext of it, not yes. the surface. And it was the eleventh hour. I was burning out at that point. I yeah. mean, you know, this is a lot. It was a lot of work. It's the last work. four episodes. Yeah, you know, and using live instruments for the first time. It was like. Kind of a little bit over my head. And I call Brian. I'm like, dude, I don't know what to do for this scene, man. I'm, I'm out of ideas. <laughs> He's like, man, just do something simple and beautiful. I don't know, like one chord to the sixth chord or something. Which is my go-to. That's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's always it's, my it's, answer. It works really well. <laughs> yeah. like, and I was like, all right. <laughs> and, like, and, yeah. and that's pretty much where it came from. It's very, very simple. Yeah. You know, it's these different voicings of the chords. They change, you know, when it comes in uh, after the break, the voicing... Uh, I think it spreads out, and there's higher notes in the chord. Um, the inversion goes up, but it, it's a the very tempo is so good. The like, tempo really works. So it's just slow, simple and... little gestures, you know. Yeah. yeah. So Big, lots of and space. that that idea of you know when we were in the studio mixing it, there was so much fire, and it was kind of competing with the music. And we decided to filter the fire, like the higher frequencies, and mix it lower. But it was, you know, the inspiration for stuff like that was like. Ghost in the Shell, yeah, um, yep. where there's these crazy action scenes going on, but it's just ambient music playing. And the director specifically told the composer, he's like, I want to hear what's in her heart. I don't want to hear yeah. what's happening on screen. Great and, love um, that. Yeah. and then Blade Runner uh, is sure. another one I love where, you know, Deckard's hunting down this one replicant and there's this slow motion, long drawn out scene where she's smashing through glass and there's mm -hmm. just this beautiful Vangelis music playing. It's it's not what you would expect for like yeah. the climax to an action scene. Um, but again, it's it's the emotion, you know, you, you get the idea Deckard's not really happy about what he's doing. Yeah. And it's this tragic scene where this life form is is, is ending and, and so you know we want this this I've said it before, but to me that scene is sort of the it's the emotional climax of the series, yes. and um, the music and the great storyboarding and animation mm -hmm. um, really came together and just yeah, made a powerful that. scene. I don't have the same musical language that you guys do, but I can tell you how that made me feel, <laughs> and it was sad and happy at the mm. same time. I can't. It was like it's just swelling of emotion. It was great. Mm, cool. uh, last piece from Avatar: The Last Airbender that I want to talk about. This is from the finale. The f I mean, all of Sozin's comet had such gorgeous music throughout, but I think that the part four Avatar Ang definitely had some incredible stuff. Uh, let's take a listen to this last bit. This is Ang taking away Fire Lord Ozai's bending. Then another's energy. Your own spirit must be unbendable, or you will be corrupted and destroyed. your fire bending you can't use it to hurt or threaten anyone else ever again 
Guys, nice work. I have to start in a clap. I want that music to be the soundtrack to my life. I want to do something in my life and then have that just come into my ears like, yes, it's so good. All right, go ahead. Well, again, live stream, awesome live stream players killing it. Your, you know? your composition, too. Come on. Well, you know, what was nice about that moment was that was a real culmination of the theme. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's something that you've, you, if you're a fan of the show, if you've invested time with these characters and these stories... That theme is is burned into your brain by that point. But you, what what a great composer does, and we, and what Jeremy did a lot more on Cora is to do these permutations on those themes. Yeah, yeah, like, using less ideas and more getting more out of them. You know, yeah, I mean, that became more my mo with Cora. But um, that started to happen with Avatar too near the end, and I started to realize like. Certain themes are just really malleable, you know? They can be used in happy situations, sad, scary, ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And the Avatar theme was like that. It was simple enough. And I could I could harmonize it different ways, you know? And You can hear it in there. There's like a modal shift or something. Uh, when, yeah. that, when that starts, it's it's sort of heavy. And right. then it, yeah, it, right. there, you feel oh, yeah, yeah. that change, which is probably when you felt the hairs on your neck, yeah. which is what I was feeling. Yep. And like, yeah. it shifts over to this very hopeful kind of like joyous yes. um you know radiant you know, sun coming out it's just yeah. that feeling yeah it worked well and um, i remember being really happy about with that moment like it just that I, I that was a really that whole that last episode was super emotional for me absolutely so much humanity in that mm-hmm. guys let's move on to uh the legend of Korra. all right before we start here let's talk a little bit about the idea for the music before the show even started some of the concepts some of the bigger pictures and then just kind of uh go into that yeah um similar kind of thing where brian had a, a really strong grounding idea and it was the birth of jazz in China in the twenty in a twenties sort of world. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, me, Mike and me, yeah. Yeah, yeah Mike, Mike, right. Sorry, Mike. And I was like, okay, well, luckily I've been, you know, I'd been working with Hong for a, a year at that point, Hong Wei. So I knew, you know, I had access to virtually any Chinese instrument I needed. So that was awesome. Hong had uh, studied jazz as well. So even though he's this That's really right. accomplished Chinese multi-instrumentalist, he had a jazz background, so that is so, so cool. this idea of like, oh, let's infuse, let's do a hybrid of this East-West, you know, so musical history. He was like, he was able to translate a lot yeah. of those musical ideas onto these traditional ancient instruments. Yeah, really wow. serendipitous. And not only did well, this is a little interesting tidbit, but Hong had to study jazz like underground, literally. like he would he was like tucked away in some like university, like far away from the government, and wow, he could he could be arrested. At the time, for so, studying jazz, jazz and rock, wow. so he, he had a, he would he would jam with these dudes, and they were all like breaking the law together, <laughs> playing you know that jazz. That's so and rock and roll, but it jazz, is. it's it great. Is. <laughs> it's, it, he's totally rock and roll. So, so that was you know we wanted we knew we wanted to use a lot because they were going to have a lot more technology. You yes. could have music just playing on a record player or mm-hmm. something. So we knew we wanted to have more incidental music. Again, this idea that there's music playing in the scene where the characters are. So we gave Jeremy that assignment, and he just created these. This these sort of what was the top ten songs in yeah. Republic City at that time, and you'd hear them in different. You know, he would do different variations on them, and and so that gave us a library of stuff that he could just 
like oh i don't know maybe incidental music here and it really added to the to the flavor of the era well the show was not without its fair share of emotion a uh, <laughs> clip that i want to listen to is from uh season one this is uh, episode 12 end game this is a teardrop uh at the cliffs let's listen to this piece of music here we go That was Cora at the cliffs. She's lost her bending, and she thinks she can't be the Avatar, and tear falls, and then Aang shows up, I think. That's right, oh yeah. yeah. Well, tell us about that piece of music. <clears throat> Again, Hong Wang um, yeah. playing Arhu and Jonghu. Jonghu is a similar instrument to Arhu, but it's a lower. It's, it's a fifth lower, um, and it, it has a, a different quality. That was used a lot, too, and um, that was one of those things I'd never heard of that instrument before. Yeah. And Hong was like, check this out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, he, I think there's a couple instruments that might not have ever been used on any Western TV show before, like Mato Chin. I can Chin. believe that. I yeah. can believe that. Yeah. Now, maybe, I think, because he's played with some other people. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's so awesome to hear the physical texture of the cellos, of the violins. Mm-hmm. The, the bow, the hair of the bow yeah, and the you, strings. You know, you're that. hearing it yeah. actually happening. And, and instead of when, sometimes when they get these huge, I mean, that can be very moving and powerful, but you get these huge orchestras you're just hearing, you lose all that physicality and it's just this kind of celestial Yeah, it, it gets a little more blurred. And yeah, the, it's very blurred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a big orchestra. I always think of it as sort of like a big train, you know, and like a, like a, like a quartet can be like a, like a Ferrari or something. Yeah. <laughs> the next piece that I want to listen to is from Season 3, Episode 13, Venom of the Red Lotus. This is Korra versus Zaheer. This is intense. It is rhythmic. It is beautiful. Why am I still talking about it? Let's listen to it. Here we go. I mean, I can't come up with a better word to describe that than epic, yeah. but I'm sure you guys have a better musical language, so please tell us that about that. That was what I was thinking. Uh, just epic, right? Yeah, I know Mike really loves that music, too. We yeah. were just... I think he listened to the preview before I had a chance to, and he was just like, dude, <laughs> Jeremy did for them flying around. It's such an intense scene, and Joaquin's storyboarding in that scene was incredible. And yeah, I feel like even in your own music that you've done for the Echo Society, you've gotten really into these sort of arpeggiating, repeating. Yeah. Sort of. sort of like patternless patterns, you know? 
these patterns that are really hard to follow or yeah you know there and that that sort of motoring you know percolating stuff in the background there are these if i recall correctly it's two separate lines and they 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 there's two separate patterns they're similar but they're a little different and they clash in certain ways mm-hmm. and I, I, do, I i do this in other stuff like i've done this He's um, really into the math of this stuff. Yeah, like I just, coming I up just with like these, these <laughs> I like texture. I like the texture it creates. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and, and you can't quite hear the pitches, you know, because the intervals are always changing. And that creates um, tension. I mean, one, yeah, because I think yeah. one, one was like, you know, 12 notes and one was seven or something. And so mm-hmm. they, they, when they repeat, they overlap in different places. You so, know? yeah, you, <clears> think, you think, oh, this is really repetitive. <clears throat> these are like three or four notes. Mm-hmm. But then your brain's trying, you know, humans, <laughs> we can't stop looking for patterns yeah. and everything including sound and you you're looking for that pattern but it's it's un, it's like unsettling and if there was nothing <laughs> right. everything with Zaheer and the Red Lotus was about being unsettling and threatening yeah. and, totally and yeah. it's still but it, it has like a percussive quality and so it's it's clear in, in its in its function but it's sort of ambiguous in other ways you know what i mean that's great so. <laughs> what are you guys most proud of when it comes to the music that came from Avatar, The Last Airbender, or The Legend of Korra? All of it. I'm just proud that we tried in a, in a lot of facets of the show to raise the bar, to uh, broaden the parameters of what people would expect from kids' animated TV, or just yeah. any TV. You know, we really wanted to bring artistry to everything and, and to try to make it more cinematic. Mm-hmm. Certainly... A personal goal was to make stuff more dramatic, you know, than I think people expect or allow yeah. uh, animated programs to be. You know, you hear it, everybody's always, oh, animation, it's its a medium, it could do anything, it could right. make stuff for adults. But people still don't accept that. And yeah. um, usually, you know, even if they like something like Avatar, it's like, oh, I, just, I mean, I usually don't get into kids' stuff, mm-hmm. you know, but I think I'm just proud of the platform we were able to give Jeremy to explore yeah. these ideas and to create just this beautiful, lasting stuff that stands on its own, mm-hmm. you know, even without the show. Well, I think Brian nailed it. I think that that I'm proud that we took chances and risks and we, you know, carved our own path for this stylistically, conceptually, in all those ways, um, instrumentation, tools, all that stuff. I, I feel like we tried not to take anything for granted. Yeah, you know what I mean. We tried not to assume anything, and I'm I'm really proud of that because that takes a lot of energy, yeah, <laughs> a lot of discipline. And I'll tell you, it wasn't all smiles. You know what I mean? It was it was a lot of work and it was exhausting. And we were doing a lot with a little, you mm-hmm. know. So it's a lot more work when you're editing everything. You don't have an editor. You don't have an engineer. You know what I mean? And um, it was the hardest I think I've ever worked on anything. Yeah. You know, and I, I kind of hope I never have to work that hard. <laughs> if we could, I, I could feel you wrapping this up, but I feel like we need to end with the last cue. Let's do if it. If we've got let's, it. Because, let's pull up, yeah. You know, that, that piece from uh, of Zuko versus Azula is probably my favorite piece of music from Avatar, but the final cue in the very end of the final episode, of course, is probably my favorite yeah. piece of music. This is from yeah. The Last Stand, season four, episode 13. Uh, let's take a listen.
chills. Just my whole body covered. It was so great. <laughs> when you do anim- TV animation, subtlety is the hardest thing to achieve. Yeah. So in the design, in the art direction, in the in the movement, all of that, we're, we're like, we're trying to get at subtlety. And it's so nice to not have some ham-fisted, canned score mm-hmm. uh, shoved down your throat, but to have something that delicate, that nuanced. Uh, I don't know, when the strings drop out and that, is it a Celeste or a Celeste? Yeah, there's a few different pitch percussion. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's that. There's the kalimba, of course. Yeah, the kalimba, which is a callback to Avatar. Yeah, we yes. used it in the, end, in the end of almost every episode. And so, yeah, so, I, I mean, I'm just kind of proud at the culmination of this. It sounds maybe corny, but this musical journey, it really was a musical journey for yeah. a year, over a decade or something yeah. between the two. Wow. For me, that that was like a little bit like a love letter, you know? It was like, it was, you know, we'd been through so much and it was just like long. I'm getting emotional thinking about this. <laughs> it was like, you know, like a lot of life had happened from yeah. Avatar to like the end of Korra. Yeah. A lot of like good stuff and bad stuff, you know. And it was just sort of like an acknowledgement of like all that had happened. And it was yeah. sort of like a goodbye to the fans and a thank you. And it was like a button, you know. And it, and was, it was a love scene and, yeah. you know, yeah. a budding of a romantic relationship. So it all, Yeah. I'm proud of that. I think I was able to get through this without fully crying. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, I want to thank you guys so much, Jeremy Zuckerman, Brian Kanitsko, for coming in and uh, telling us about uh, the musical journey that you guys went on. That was really, really special. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Jeremy Zuckerman and Brian Konitzko as much as I did. I'm a huge fan of Avatar and Korra and especially a huge fan of the music, so that was really, really special. Big thanks to them for coming in and sharing some of their time and their memories and stories from the shows. Guys, don't forget to go to nickanimationpodcast.com for all of the previous episodes of the podcast so you're not going to miss anything and you can check out a bunch of cool, awesome behind-the-scenes stuff. Wherever you're getting your podcast, be sure to leave us a review. It really helps us out. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together. This podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana vasquez Eberhard, Kelly Smith, Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful Creatures. This week's episode edited by Josh Caldwell, Jonathan Highlander. All of the incredible social media for our podcast is made by Narbe Manassians, Sammy Armager, David Watson. And thanks to the man who works at controls and makes me sound better than I have a right to, Manny Gralva. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast and keep watching cartoons. Thank you.